Shouts to uh, Jeff for that. Well done, man. Honestly, let's just, right here. Reading a genealogy is not easy, and I will not repeat almost any of that, which is exciting for all of us, I think. So good morning. Uh, We're continuing our sermon series, walking through the first half of Exodus, and last week Todd started off chapter 6, focusing on the Israelites crying out to God and questioning him and him responding to them, and we learn about how also when we cry out and question God, he responds to us. And this morning we're going to continue chapter 6, and let's be honest, if you've been with us these past months, this passage, other than the genealogy, uh, which seems a little out of place and odd, which we're going to get to, uh, the rest of the verses seem really familiar. It's like we've already heard this thing, and not only have we heard it already, um, he repeats it twice in these passages, like God repeats himself, even in the passage we just read. But this morning, I think we're going to focus on an uh, um, attribute of the character of God that we rarely do, and it's God's patience. We're going to talk about God's patience this morning with his people. Now, um, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a very impatient person. I like things quick. I like them efficient. It's a curse. Um, Fatherhood has certainly helped me grow in patience, though that's a long process for me. Um... There's this thing called sanctification that's been helpful in my growth and patience as well. Again, a very long process. I'm trying to learn how to become a more patient person. But there's one place that I'm very patient, maybe in my entire life. It's at a restaurant. I worked in the restaurant industry for like 10 years. And so the one place that I'm the most patient and the most understanding is at a restaurant. Because I went through many a, many a table over a decade from when I was 17, even through seminary, trying to help uh, supplement my gracious wife who was paying for my seminary through working three jobs, um, that I uh, had so many rough tables that now when I go to a restaurant, I'm extremely cautious and patient with the restaurant workers. There's this one time when we were um, in our early 20s and Dre and I were freshly married and we were going to somewhere in Charleston, probably the beach somewhere like that, and we stopped by our favorite um, spot. It's called Bagel Nation in Charleston. Uh, Delicious bagels. Um, I still miss that place. And so we went in there, and the line was long as always, and so we wait in the line, very patiently, and we get up to the front, we order our bagels, and then we step to the side, and we wait. Five minutes goes by, we don't get our food. Ten minutes goes by, we don't get our food, and uh, Andrea, who also has worked in restaurant industry, uh, was like, yo, we need to go talk to them. And I was like, no, no, no I don't want to inconvenience them. Let's wait a little bit longer. She's like, Daniel, something's probably wrong. Like people have already, that came in after us, have already ordered and gotten their food. You need to go tell them. I was like, no, I don't want to be annoying. Our, our order was maybe more than just a bag of bagels. Like we got, you know, I got a sausage, egg, and cheese on a cinnamon crunch. It was delicious, savory, and sweet. She got some kind of turkey thing. It was beautiful. But um, I said, let's wait a little longer. So we wait 20 minutes. She's like, Daniel, I'm going up there. And I said, don't you dare do that. 30 minutes goes by. I mean, people have just been cycling through this restaurant. And I'm just sitting here on the side being like, no, we're waiting. We don't want to be those people. Finally, I think it, I think it got close to 40 minutes, if I'm going to be honest. And I, I finally went up there. And I said, hey, so apologetically, right? I was like, came up there really quietly. Hey, we ordered our food like just a little bit ago. And it hasn't come out. 
can you check and see where it is? And they said, what'd you get? And I told them our, our order, and they went back and looked, and they were looking around, couldn't find the ticket. She looks down, our ticket had fallen on the ground. She picked it up, they got us our food in like three minutes. So it was clearly, right, like their fault. They dropped the ticket, no biggie. Had I gone up there 25, 30 minutes before, they wouldn't have cared. They would have picked up the ticket. They would have made us our food, right? Andrea's uh, never really let me live down that moment because I was wrong. I was patient uh, past the point that was right. It was almost to a long-suffering level. I was patient to a level that was unnecessary. I didn't want to offend them to make their lives or jobs harder, so I, I refused to say anything, right? We laugh about it, uh, but I was thinking about it this week, and I, and I realized that this is um, actually in a, in a healthier way how God moves towards us. We rarely talk about God as patient, and yet he is. We rarely talk about how we have a God who, despite our shortcomings or our insecurities or our rebellion and sin, is long-suffering with us. And there's a certain level of affirmation and kindness in the way that our God chooses to be patient with us. It's something that we should be very grateful for, but, but I do worry that we actually take it for granted often. But this story shows that uh, a God who's patient with his people, in a lot of ways, it's, it's very similar to the other time that God called Moses and Aaron in chapter 3. Um, there are some differences, in, but in so, there's so many similarities that actually some scholars think that uh, it's the same call that they just repeat, because in chapter 7, things really start to hit the fan, right? That's when, like, Moses and Aaron, and the plagues start to come in, the back and forth, for, like, four straight chapters. So this is almost like a, a resettling, right? One last time that God sends out Moses and Aaron before they really kind of get into the weeds with Pharaoh. So maybe this is just a repeat of what had already happened. But the difference is, I think, which we'll get into later, with the genealogy that Jeff so beautifully read, um, shows that actually this is a different time. This is a recalling of the call that happened in Exodus 3. And what we see is that Moses still uses the same exact excuse that he used three chapters before. And as I read it over and over and I studied it, I was struck with the amount of patience that God has with Moses. God who had been vulnerable and honest and empowering and kind to him gave him everything he needed to succeed. Moses still hid behind his insecurity and his shortcomings. But what we can learn this morning is that God is patient with us too. That's hard to wrap our minds around because we live so impatiently, both in our individual lives and as a society. We want things now, right? And we want them when we want them. We have instant access to information, to food, to connection with people, almost anything and everything we want. This has made us so impatient. And I think we know this, but it warps our sense of God too. Because we don't expect God to be patient with us. We see God and we think he wants to change us immediately. That our sinful patterns should be done immediately. We see God and we think he wants us to have it all figured out right here and right now. Or we do the opposite. If God doesn't come through for us immediately, he must not be there. He must not be working. If he doesn't fix the problems in my life right now, where is he? 
There's no sense that God is long-suffering. God is patiently working his plan and his work in the world. Because if God doesn't give me what I need or think I need right now, he isn't who he says he is. But we have a God who is patient, who is slow to anger, who plays the long game. We have a God who works in history. And yeah, he works in our day-to-day, and he meets us in our present, and our minute-to-minute. But so often, the plan of God and his will is a long, unfolding plan. He's a patient God, and he's patient with us. And so in this passage, we're going to see it work itself out in two ways, this patience of God with us. We, and it's in this way. First, we can trust he is, patience. he is patient with us in our feelings of inadequacy. Or sorry, yeah, in like, uh, sorry, our insecurity, our inadequacy and our insecurity. And then second, we can trust he's patient with us in our actual shortcomings. So there's one side of it that's like our insecurity, our inadequacy that we feel. And then the second side of it, he's patient with us in our actual shortcomings. So we can trust him in our feelings of uh, insecurity and inadequacy. So this story, like I said, seems like a repeat. We can get a little confused as to where we are. So this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring us all back around to what has happened in these first six chapters of Exodus. So in Exodus 1, we know God's people are in slavery. And there is a mandate that all the firstborn sons of Israel are killed. And rather than doing that, Moses' mother put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile. And Pharaoh's own daughter rescues him, right? Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household. He grows up essentially as a prince and a high level in their household. But one day sees one of his uh, Israelite brothers being abused by a foreman. And so he hits that foreman and then uh, goes into exile uh, by uh, fear of death. And then in chapter 3, God meets Moses at the burning bush. He reveals himself to him, gives him his name, commissions him to rescue his people. And then in chapter 4, God gives him signs to validate him and say, hey, you, I'm commissioning you to do this thing. Here are signs to give the people of Israel so they'll follow you. And he commissions Aaron to come alongside him and help him. And then in chapter 5, they go to Pharaoh and they say, hey, let our people go into the desert uh, so they can worship for three days. Pharaoh laughs at them and doubles their workload. And then the people of Israel turn on Moses and they turn on God. So Moses goes back to God and he's like, why would you send me if you're only going to make things worse? And he questions him. And last week, Todd showed us that in uh, chapter 6, God reaffirms his character and his will for Moses that they be set free. And then this week, before he sends them back, he recommissions them, recalls them to go. And like I said, next week, things are going to ramp up. Plagues are coming. Action's about to get hot and heavy. But right now, we're recentering before that happens. So Moses comes before God, and God says this, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land. And Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and the Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring them out of the land. This is a familiar story. God commissions and sends him out, and Moses resists. At the burning bush, we saw God call Moses using very similar language, and this is a recall. God came to where Moses uh, had failed and met resistance. So that's the difference between chapter 3 and chapter 6. In chapter 3, Moses was on Mount Oreb, right, tending sheep. God came to him and called him. This time, Moses is beat up. He is um, stricken. He's sad. Everyone's turned against me. Pharaoh said no to me. The people of Israel don't trust me anymore. So what does God do? 
God meets him actually this time in Egypt. He doesn't go uh, to where Moses is far away. Actually, God goes to where Moses is in the thick of it, in the heat of kind of all that he is struggling with. God meets him there. So that's different than chapter 3. And actually, Moses' response is different here. In, in Exodus 3, he was anxious that the people of Israel wouldn't accept him as a leader, which they did. But now, they reject him. So he's anxious that they won't follow or listen to him uh, how will Pharaoh, so his focus is less on leading the people of Israel now, and they're like, well, they don't even accept me. How is Pharaoh ever going to listen to me? And the thing that keeps coming back to me as I read this is how insecure he felt and who he was and his abilities. After all that God had done for him and promised him, he still could not believe that he would be the one to achieve God's purposes. So he comes back to God with the same tired old line that he can't speak well. That he can't do what God had asked him. And part of us should not, be resp- uh, should, should not be surprised that he needs this recall. Or that he gave God the same excuse. I, I, there's so much repetition in this first six chapters of Exodus. Because God's people need to be reminded over and over. And be taught over and over who we are in relation to him. This shouldn't surprise us because we are slow to understand We're slow to believe God. We're slow to obey, right? And Moses had struggled. Things hadn't gone great for him. God almost killed him in a roadside lodge. Remember that? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That was kind of wild. Pharaoh laughed at him when he got there. His own people rejected him after Pharaoh punished them. So it makes sense that Moses was questioning God still. Because why would this time be any different? But what I find beautiful in this story is God's response to Moses. And it's beautiful in its simplicity. The verse we read early, uh, earlier, it's uh, repeated in 2830. It just says this. I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. That's it. He didn't condemn him for his insecurity or his incompetence or his failure. He doesn't even condemn him for his second guessing or his lack of belief. He simply reminds Moses who he is, and what he's called Moses to. Our God is a patient God, even in our insecurities, even in our failure, even in our brokenness, and yes, even in our sin. Our own insecurity can be the biggest hurdle in our lives for achieving the purposes of God. So often we think think we're not good enough, that we can't handle all that God has called us to, that we're unlovable and unusable and full of doubt. And this passage reminds us, each and every single one of us, that we have a God who, yes, answers our insecurities in kind. Yes, he still wants to use us. Yes, he wants to be our God. But more than any of that, he's patient with us. In our misgivings, in our sadness, in our insecurity. And he promises not to leave us. The truth about insecurity is this. Some of it's based on truth, right? The things we are most insecure about are often based on some level of truth. And what's amazing about God is that he doesn't see us as end products, right? Part of the patience of God is that he's deeply committed to us as his people to love us, to be gracious to us, to use us, to to care for us and be kind to us. He, He doesn't get exhausted waiting on you. God doesn't need you to be a finished product today, right now, 
He isn't in the business of quick fixes. God is in the business of creating a people more in the image of Jesus Christ. So deeply changed by the word that we find in Scripture, so deeply changed by the resurrection of Jesus through the power of his spirit that one day will grow to be something more than we are right now. But this is a process. And we get tired and weary, but God never does. And we get insecure and impatient, but God is confident in us and patient with us. So where's the status of your heart this morning? Where's your anxiety this morning? Where are you feeling less than, insecure, not good enough? And know that our good and loving Father waits patiently with you, on you, and for you. Come to him, receive that spirit, find the rest and peace you're looking for, because our hearts won't rest until they're resting in him. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this as well, though. The danger with focusing on the grace of God, even in our insecurities or his patience with us in them, is that it would give us license to sin. Later in Exodus, we're reminded of the character of God. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says this, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We see the grace, love, and patience of God here, right? We see the forgiveness, his commitment to us in our insecurity and even in our sin. But those verses end this way. It says this, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The patience and grace of God has no end, but our sin will catch up to us. Our sin has real consequential effects on our hearts and lives. So if we take advantage of the patience and grace of God when we sin and think there will be no consequences, no judgment for us, that's when things really go wrong. So don't mistake the patience of God in your insecurity as license to sin. Rather, the patience of God should give us license to serve and love the Lord. The patience of God calms our insecurity. It gives us strength and confidence to live a holy life in service to him and his church not to do whatever we want. These verses both calm our insecurity, but they also issue a warning to us. Don't take the patience of God for granted. And that brings us to our second point. So he's patient with us, and we can trust that he's even patient with us in our insecurity. And now we're going to see he's patient with us in our actual shortcomings. So we come to this interesting partner narrative um, and it seems like a break, right? We have these recentering, these verses that are repeat at the beginning, and they repeat it again at the end of this passage. And then there's this genealogy. And it's kind of confusing. Why would there be a break in this story to just throw this genealogy in here? But he wants to do something really important. Moses was the writer of this, um, uh, this book, and he wanted to put this genealogy in here for a very important reason. It's this. It's to establish the credentials of Aaron. The purpose of this genealogy is to establish Aaron as fit and ready and as a good counterpart to Moses. And we know that this wasn't necessary to do for Moses, right? Because we had five chapters already establishing Moses, his backstory, his birth, who he was. And Moses wants the reader and, and the Israelites at large who would come back and read this as they were growing up and in their everyday life to know who Aaron was. It establishes his pedigree. 
we know this because, and we're not going to read the whole thing as I said, but I, I do want to mention a couple things. We know this because it follows actually the line of Aaron. It starts off with uh, Rubian and Simeon. Uh, they're the two oldest of the 12 sons of Jacob. And like you would think, then the next name to appear is Levi, who was the third born. But from then on out, it sticks with Levi, right? It doesn't go to the other sons of Jacob. It sticks with Levi, and it goes down his line. And it focuses primarily on Aaron, because we know when it gets to Aaron, when it goes past Aaron, it goes to his grandson Phineas, who is also of the tribe of Levi. One thing that a genealogy uh, does, and maybe why Moses put it here, is because he uses it to extend all the way back to the patriarchal period, right? To the beginning of the tribe of Israel. And it shows us that the purposes of God extend very far into the past. But it ends past Aaron, right? If it was going to establish Aaron's pedigree, you would think maybe it would end with Aaron. But it doesn't. It ends with his grandson, Phidias. Which shows that the purposes of God don't just extend in the past, but also into the future. And so in this genealogy, we see the patience of God because it shows that his purposes will both work far into the past and also into the future. And it's especially interesting in Aaron because it shows that Aaron is a legitimate leader in his own right. He's a worthy partner for Moses, who everyone already knew was called to be Israel's prophet and leader. It prepares us to see the prominent role he's about to play, as I said, as things start to get really ramped up in chapter 7 through 11. And this story teaches us that um, though Moses was insecure about it, he probably did have, at worst, a speech impediment, or at best, was not charismatic or a gifted speaker. So God wanted to use him despite those shortcomings. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't going to help him as well. The patience of God does not equal inaction of God. So God sends Aaron to come alongside Moses, showing that God was patient with Moses, yes, but also that he provided for him in his shortcomings. As I said earlier, um, we are being conditioned to become impatient people, right? But this is actually not just a modern 2020 thing. We see this throughout history. We see this with Adam, who was impatient with God and his revelation to him, his constant, uh, and decided to take matters into his own hand and eat the fruit. We see this with Israel, their constant grumbling and turning away from God, uh, who promised to never leave them or forsake them, and yet they constantly turn their back on him. We see this, um, we see God's patience with the church in the New Testament as it was um, inaugurated after Christ's resurrection and how God worked his purposes through them slowly as it exploded throughout the ancient Near East. We can look back through all of history and see a God who is patient with an impatient people. Despite their failings, despite their finitude, we have a God who is infinitely patient. Backwards and forwards. So by application, I want us to think about a couple things. The first is this. God is patient towards us in our shortcomings by refining us, sanctifying us, and growing us. Like I said earlier, even in our insecurities, we're not finished products. But also in our true shortcomings, the things that we're not good at, that we don't do well, God is patient with us even in then. We're not finished products. what we struggle with in our areas of growth that we actually need to grow in, God is patient with us. 
We don't have to be a finished product before him because he's not done with us. So don't despair. God is patient with you in the process of growth. But he's also patient with us by providing for us. Second, think about this story. The genealogy was about Aaron, not Moses. God provided Aaron for Moses because Moses needed someone to come alongside him. He needed Aaron, and God didn't hold that he needed Aaron against him. Actually, he provided for him. God didn't punish him for it because we have a God who's patient with us, who will provide for us when we need him. It might be on his time and in his way, but he will come through for us. Finally, uh, God's patience creates hope in us. 2 Peter 3 says this, Do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. These verses remind us that God's time and timing is different than ours, yes. But there's also a promise in these verses. It's that the day of the Lord is coming. Just because God has not returned yet and set all things new again doesn't mean that he won't. It just means that he hasn't yet. So Peter shows us that the fact that Christ has not come yet is actually a display of God's patience. And the question before us is truly, yes, why has he not come? This has been a hard year for a lot of us. And it will continue to be a hard year. We're coming up on the holidays. It's going to be a hard time for a lot of us. And I hate to tell you this, and I don't mean to be doom and gloom. I don't think 2021 is magically going to flip a switch and it's all going to be okay again. It's going to take time. Things in society might change. If there's anything this year has forced us to do, it's trust that God is still at work even in the midst of great brokenness, darkness, and sadness, and anxiety. But these verses do remind us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. He's patiently working his promises out. Not wishing that we should perish, that we should reach repentance, as those verses say. Christ hasn't returned yet because his work is not done. Have you ever thought about that? Christ hasn't returned yet because his work is not done. God is patiently working his purposes in the world. And when his work is done, he will return. He hasn't returned because he wants to bring more people to him in salvation. He hasn't returned yet because he still has more flourishing he wants to create where sin breaks. So yes, we say, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come, while also trusting that he's still working his plan in the world. Um, just like with everything, the longer I've been out of the restaurant industry, the less I've been hyper-careful or unnecessarily patient with the wait staff. I always tip more than 20%, no matter what, right? And I rarely push back on servers or send food back. But I try not to be as differential to them at the expense of others, namely my wife. And my patience that day wasn't really patience, actually, right? It was insecurity, I didn't want to offend the servers. I didn't want to be a nuisance or a problem. It made me passive, actually. It made me inactive. But the patience of God isn't like that. The patience of God is the farthest thing from passivity or inactivity. We know this. Why? Because of the cross. 
on the cross, we see the fruition, think about this, of centuries and thousands of years of activity coming to fruition. What had been promised for centuries and thousands of years finally came to fruition on the cross. On the cross, we see the Son of God who had been promised, the Messiah himself, come and walk on this earth, live a perfect life, willingly go to the cross, bruised and broken, taking the sins of the world on his back so that we could be saved. And then we see God waiting three days before he raised him again, starting his kingdom of goodness, grace, and love here. We see God patiently waiting and biding his time before he sends his son back here to renew and restore all things. Don't you see how patient God was for so long before he sent his son? And how patient God is right now before he sends him back to set all things right again. So we can have hope this morning. We can have hope in this year of brokenness. We can have hope in our own anxiety, in our insecurities, in our own shortcomings. Because we have a God who's proven himself to work, to move, to save, and to bring his goodness and his grace to us. So wherever you are this morning, as you go home for the holidays or if you're by yourself, remember... God is patiently working his purposes in your heart, in this world, in your families and in your homes, in your work, with your children. And he's not abandoned or forsaken you. Patiently wait on him as he patiently works his will into the world. Amen.